Okay, the anxious leader is now to qualify. <laughs> My name is Ziva, I'm a compulsive overeater. And I think I would start by inviting you into my head and hearing the messages that have been going through in my head since yesterday. Now, my head used to be a very unsafe, gang-infested neighborhood, <laughs> and now it's more like a coffee shop in West Hollywood. <laughs> so, you know, sometimes it's really, really quiet, people work on their computers, sometimes you hear laughter, sometimes you hear people argue. But it's not a gang-infested neighborhood. So it started yesterday by a voice that says, call Peter and cancel. You, you are going to scare people away because you have been in program 30 years and you have four years and eight months of abstinence. And if there are any newcomers in the room, which I think uh, maybe there are, that will scare them away. And then a gentle voice from the coffee shop said to me, you know, maybe there are a few people in the room who struggle with relapse, and maybe your experience can be helpful to them. And then this morning, as I was getting out of the shower and looking at myself, the voice said, you are not at your goal weight. And the kind voice said, but you are not size 24 anymore. And then the voice said, your dinner last night wasn't perfect. And the kind voice said, you know, last night I was exhausted. It was, it's been a very, very, very big week for me. My best friend's husband passed away and Sunday was the funeral. And Wednesday my partner moved in with me. And this is after living by myself and raising three kids by myself for 20 years. So it's been a big week. And we are adjusting to our rhythm. She needs five hours of sleep. I need eight. And last night, she had a friend from Scotland visiting, and she said, let's go out for dinner and to hear music. And because there was somebody they know who is playing in a band. And I was able to say, with the help of this program, I need to take care of myself. And if I don't go to sleep early, because with the move, I slept like four hours a night for a few days, I would be a mess. So I ended up going to a meeting and taking myself to a dinner that maybe wasn't steamed broccoli and poached salmon, but it was a moderate-sized low meal that had a beginning, a middle, and an end. And at the end, I went to bed, and I slept nine hours. So that's the gentle voice from the coffee shop reminding me. So now I feel better, and I... I tend to believe now to that voice, not to the gang-infested neighborhood <laughs> screaming that is subsiding. So you basically heard my story in the last three minutes. <laughs> so I will go a little more into details about where I'm coming from and then go into the recovery. So I was born, as you can tell by now, by my heavy New York accent in Israel. <laughs> And I was born into a home that there was a lot, a lot of sadness, anger, bitterness, and frustration. I heard from very early on from my mother that there is no God, because if there was, she wouldn't have lost her mother, father, brothers, sisters, nephews, nieces in the Holocaust. So that was a given. 
And I think that as a little kid, I found very early on food to help me regulate those huge feelings that were around me. And I'm grateful for food because I think if I didn't have food, I would probably have ended up in a, I don't know, in a mental hospital. So in my early years, I used food and it saved my life and I'm grateful for that. But I think it was in my late teens that I crossed the line from using food to abusing food. And it was at that point that the binging started. Oh, I have pictures. So I have a page that I created that is also scary for the newcomer. <laughs> because I came into program normal size, size 12. I don't know numbers, I know sizes. I came into the program size 12, and after a few relapses, I got to size 24. And so you see, anyway. <laughs> but, okay, so I... I in my late teens, I started binging, and for some odd reason that I don't know, I never became morbidly obese. I was size 12, which is a normal size as far as I'm concerned, but my relationship with food was insane, and so it was with my body. And, and I would skip, you know, many years, but basically in my late 20s, I was married, I had my first child, and I found OA in Israel. And OA in Israel at the time was a club, just like that coffee shop in my head, was a club with nice people who understood the problem of compulsive overeating. Nobody really knew what abstinence is, what does God have to do with it. But, you know, we met, we read the big book, we were, I was on a committee that was translating food for thought to Hebrew. It was fun, but there was no recovery. <laughs> and I, I did it, for, I was very active in the program, and it, it, in 1979, there was a big celebration, I don't know what year it was of OA, in Tel Aviv, and I met Roseanne and some other people from here, and I told them that we are immigrating to LA, and they said, the minute you arrive, call us, and I called, and they told me about meetings, and basically from 1984 until almost five years ago, I was in the program, but I couldn't, couldn't become abstinent. I had periods of time. I joined HOW at some point, and for those of you that work the HOW program and it works for you, I have no judgment. For me, for me, just, that's just one woman's story. I got to be size six, which you've seen the pictures, but... It started a roller coaster of, you know, I was either white knuckling abstinent with this, what I experienced as punitive kind of abstinence, and when I would break it, I would, you know, gain 75 pounds. And I remember I had this sponsor that I handpicked, I think he was from the army. He was in the army, but at the time he came out of the army, and he was my sponsor, and I lost like 75 pounds. And I was invited to speak in How LA, and I lived at the time in New York, and I flew in to speak. I was this big speaker, and I, at the end of that event, I went somewhere, and I had two portions of string beans. Oh, okay. And I shared it with him, and he said, day one tomorrow. And I said, fuck. <laughs> I recorded. I said... 
I said, basically, I'll show you, and I gained 75 pounds at him. It was a real punishment to him. And you'll see the picture. I mean, it was within, I think, six months. I went from size 8.6 to 24. So I'm not a 100-pounder because I didn't lose 100 pounds in one sitting. But in the time that I've been in the program, I lost probably like 210 pounds. So, so anyway, I was in and out of how, and then I started going again to OA, and I lived in four different states, and I've been going to, pro, to meetings everywhere, and I would drive, you know, three hours to hear the best speaker, and people would drive and be, like, inspired, and on the way home, I would binge to celebrate their recovery. <laughs> and I just... Couldn't get it, couldn't get it. But there was one thing I must say that I realized in all those years and in all those places that I worked the program. The people who had what I wanted had only one thing in common. And what I wanted was to have a healthy relationship with my body, a healthy relationship with the people in my life, which include my children, work people, my work, my healthy relationship with my body, with people, and with food. The only common thing they had, you know, they were different genders, different ethnic groups, different religion, different, different size, different height, different color. The only one thing they had in common, those people, is that they were on a spiritual path. And whether they had a God or whether they were willing to even explore that notion or whether they were, you know, they were all on a spiritual path, and it, it took me all those years to realize it, but I couldn't get it because I was so drowning still in self-hate and self-destructive behavior. And, you know, I think compulsive overeating takes different forms, and mine was a very self-destructive, angry kind of eating. It wasn't, you know, loving gourmet dessert and going to sweet lady Jane and sitting with a cup of tea and eating. It was this shoving down angry, angry, angry eating. And I, I would binge and then I would go out to 7-Eleven and buy those horrible hostess cupcakes. I'm even embarrassed to say it. Or then I would call home and ask my kids, are you in the mood for ice cream? And they would say no. And I would like... You know, so I would go to Baskin Robbins and sit there alone, like a lonely person, you know, and eat this ice cream before I go home because they didn't want the ice cream. And it's like, it was just a very lonely, angry existence. And what I had to do, and again, it's just my experience. It doesn't have to be anybody else's. It says in the big book that when we need to seek outside help, we should do so. And I needed to seek outside help to find out where is this anger coming from. Because I think it was this self-destructive anger that was between me and even being open to the notion that there is a higher power. So I did that. I went and I did outside help. And I, I continued to go to meetings while I did it. But that part of my work, the binging stopped. The self-hate stopped. I still wasn't abstinent, but I was at least not self-destructing all day long. And then, over six years ago, 
I asked somebody to be my sponsor and I couldn't stop binging. And one day I called her, I called her and I said, I just came out of in and out and I'm on my way to Baskin Robbins and I think you should let go of me and find somebody that is willing to invest their time and energy and work this program. And she said to me, I don't know whether you're asking me to hold on to you or to let go of you. And I said, I think I'm asking you to let go of me. And she said, are you willing not to eat dessert tonight? And I said, let me get back to you. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, in, I'm in the parking lot of Baskin Robbins. And I closed my eyes and I said, okay, God, if you are anywhere you know, what am I doing now? And I heard this voice in me that said, you wouldn't have called her if you wanted to eat ice cream. Because you never called before. You always called after. <laughs> so I called her back and I said, I'm willing not to eat it tonight. And she said, which was really wrong, but I'm forgiving. She said, you can go and treat yourself with some sugar-free dessert. Bad advice. So I went to the market and I got sugar-free pudding, and I did a number on that. But at least I didn't go to Baskin Robbins. And then this relationship didn't work for different reasons, and I was still struggling. And I came to this meeting one day, and I asked Jack to be my sponsor, and he said, I only sponsor men. So why don't you open the book and find somebody that has more than you? I didn't have abstinence even one day. So I opened the book, and there was someone that it said the name, 23 years of abstinence. And so I called her, and there was a, a message. And I never heard about that person. don't remember ever seeing her. So I just left a message. And then the next day, it was, this was Saturday, so Sunday morning, I go to, there used to be a meeting at the Westside Pavilion. So I go to that meeting, and the speaker said, my name is the name that I called. And I said, okay, God, I mean, what am I, I mean, it's like, so anyway, after the meeting, I walk over to her, and she said, I've never been to this meeting, never led it, I don't come here. I'm so glad to see you. I meant to call you back, and she's been my sponsor. And basically, for the last four years and eight months, I am, you know, I am on a journey of recovery. And what it means is I work the steps from 1 to 12 with her, and now I'm going to work the steps again, second time, with a step buddy somebody from the program that is an old-timer, and we're just going to work the steps again. But I'll meet with my sponsor once a month and read to her what we are sharing. I am, my abstinence from the, you know, is I don't eat dessert of any kind, not sugar-free, nothing that looks like dessert, sounds like dessert, I don't eat. And there is still, you know, a lot of gray areas when it comes to food other than dessert. So I'm praying for the willingness to move more and eat less. And I would say that, don't ask me where this number is coming from, but I would say that 87% of the time, <laughs> my, my, food is, my, food is, my food is perfect. That's how I want to eat the rest of my life. 13% of the time, it's imperfect. And when I say imperfect today, then it means that I ate something fried, 
or I ate something that has fat in it, more fat than I want, or I ate, so it's imperfect, or I had, you know, more than one snack, but that's 13% of the time. And I have now a God in my life. The turning point for me with God was a book I read by Rabbi Kushner called When Bad Things Happen to Good People. His son was very, very sick and died at a very tender age. And he said that as a rabbi, it really challenged his belief in God. And what helped him come to terms with it was that when bad things happen, God cries. And that sentence was my turning point in this program. Because what happened to my mother's family and the fact that they all perished in the Holocaust is tragic. But God didn't do it. So God cried when the Holocaust took place. And I have now a God in my life that, is, that I use and I reach out to all the time. I'll give you three examples. I had a challenging client this week that I was a little reluctant when I went to see that family. And in the car before I got in, I said, God, please make me a channel of your wisdom, love, just help me. And by, by asking it, it helps me like calm down and center. Now, it's not that the meeting wasn't hard. It wasn't whether the, the session was successful or not. But I reach out to that power. Or my partner was out of town. And because of my history, I have a really hard time with attachment. So when the person I'm in an intimate relationship with leaves, it's very hard for me. I feel inside like I lose them. And I need, except my children. My children, it's so secure that it's fine. But with intimate relationships only. So she was out of town and I felt this anxiety of it's over. And I knew that the catastrophizing thing is in my head. It has nothing to do with reality. So I said three times a day the set aside prayer but I tailored it to this I said God set aside everything I think I know about and I put her name my brokenness the 12 steps in you for an open mind and a new experience of her my brokenness the 12 steps in you and after saying this two, twice she called and she said, hi, honey, I was in Wyoming. There was no reception. I knew you were already losing it. <laughs> so, so, so the good news is that I'm in a relationship that I feel safe enough to share my needs. And they are not being minimized or mocked. They are being respected. And the other beautiful thing is that I didn't binge, which is what I used to do. I mean, when I think about my marriage... Every time, first of all, my needs were never heard. I was never seen enough. By the way, my husband came out and he's gay too, but I didn't know. It. I didn't know it at the time. I didn't know why when I was size six, he told me, if you lose like five more pounds, you'll be attractive. Of course, I could go back to my birth weight and I won't be attractive to him. But... But anyway, I didn't know it then. But I, you know, I was like, he was putting me down. He was, it was a horrible relationship, and I don't blame him. It was a match. We were a very good match, and psychologically, we met each other's needs at the time, pre-recovery. But the one thing I know is that every time I felt hurt, 
or my needs were not met, there was a pint of Ben and Jerry in the bedroom, you know, and it was between us. <laughs> so, so, so I, I, today I have another way, and my way is, you know, the 12 steps. When, when I need to make an amend, which I needed to make recently, I make it right away. If I have a conflict or if I'm, you know, in a situation where I know my disease is being triggered, I have tools, I have a God, I have a sponsor, I sponsor, I, I have ways to, you know, to deal with it. And so, I don't know, I think I need to go until 9.30 or I can stop, I can stop now and have more questions. Okay, thank you for listening. Okay, this is time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leaders are their own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. How do you integrate the 12 steps with a relationship with a partner that, in my case, is not in a 12 steps? Number one, it's clear to my partner that OA, the 12 steps come first, because if I don't have my recovery, she doesn't have me. And I don't have me. So there is no, you know, it's not, you know, that's, that's not negotiable. Now, am I flexible? Yes. If there is something important going on, of course, you know, I can choose another meeting. But the 12 steps are weave now into my minute-to-minute existence, and I share it openly because it was, you know, before her I was in a relationship that the reason we broke up was there were two reasons. One is that she poo-pooed the 12 steps. I knew this cannot work. And anyway, the other reason that is not important. So it's, <laughs> it's irrelevant to this meeting. Okay. When I eat a bigger meal, there is still a self-destructive element, but it's not this, this suicidal binging. That disappeared. It's not there anymore. It's not part of, of who I am now. But I, I am still using that outside help. So when things are being triggered, I do a combination of talking there and doing that work and working the steps on the issue. So if it has to do, let's say, with a person that triggers me, I would do a mini four-step, and I would write about it and share it with my sponsor, and I would bring to therapy, you know, the feelings that are being triggered and why am I so emotional over it. So now I know a lot of people who work the program and don't need that help and don't feel that, I mean, again, it's just my experience, but I need it because, you know, I'll just say it was sexual abuse and my mother's depression. So these are two huge things that I couldn't do it on my own. I am not an angry person at all. And when I feel angry, which happens, and it doesn't make us an angry person, but I do feel anger, I pray, 
I do the set aside prayer a lot because I found it very helpful. I share about it, but the difference is, you know, prior to program, I gossiped about it. And there is a difference between gossiping and sharing. Gossiping was, I'm angry at you, so I'll talk to your best friend about it. That's not sharing. Sharing means I'll call my sponsor, and I will not mention the name. Or I will call, you know, somebody, if it's, an, if it's somebody outside the program, I might call somebody in program. But I will share it in order to help me process my feeling rather than gossip. So that's my way, writing, praying, and sharing. And I must say that the set-aside prayer for me has been magical. I am the opposite of being a rigid sponsor. So I don't know how, what you would call it. I usually go with the flow with the person and try to meet them where they're at. And I don't believe, based on my 26 years of relapse, that there is no right or wrong. I worked with sponsors that were very, very rigid, and I gained 75 pounds at them. And I, so again, whatever works, you know, some people, my style will not work for them, because I will not tell you what to do, and I will just, I will, I will not work with you if you don't work the steps, but the pace in which you do them and the style in which you choose to do them is up to you. The gentle voice basically says kind things to me. The, the gentle voice doesn't say, honey, let's go and buy some donuts. It's not that kind of kind voice. But the gentle voice, if I say to it, you know, I'm obese, I shouldn't share the meeting, the gentle voice would say, you know what? You are ten sizes smaller than you were, so you can go there. Maybe somebody can use your experience. So that's what I, But I talked for ten minutes about it. The other question was... Ah, okay. So I'll tell you how the set-aside prayer is without my... I change it based on the issue at hand. But the way it goes is God set aside everything I think I know about myself, my brokenness, the 12 steps, and you, God, for an open mind and a new experience of myself, my brokenness, the 12 steps, and especially you, God. Talk a little more about my passion about the program. So I can start my share again from the beginning. <laughs> Because this is it. I mean, I just love the program, and it, it changed my life. And it's everyone who knows me, whether it's my family, my son-in-law, his parents, my colleagues at work, everybody knows about it. I even broke my anonymity and shared it with a client who is 400 pounds and obese. And I, my work has nothing to do with weight. But I, I shared it. I, I share it because I know that it changed my life and, and is, or, you know, I do things on a daily basis with people around me that, that, that spread the message. Like, you know, I, we have at work a lot of parties. So this week there was a, there was a big, big going away party to somebody I love who I supervised, so it was emotional for me, and there was a luncheon in an all-you-can-eat restaurant, the biggest compulsive overeaters nightmare, and then there was a dessert party. 
So, before I went to the all-you-can-eat, I sat in the car and prayed. And I said, okay, God, it's 12 o'clock. I'm sure you're doing nothing right now. You're coming with me. So, I went to the restaurant. And number one, I checked if I can order anything a la carte. Because I cannot go through an all-you-can-eat thing. It's not... So there was, there wasn't as, you know, it was more expensive, but it was okay. I took care of myself. And then the dessert party, at my agency there are dessert parties monthly, and people are very much taking pride in the desserts, you know, that they make. And I always ensure that when I come to that party, I walk in with the most beautiful fruit salad that everybody looks at and once I see this little girl in the back and I know my children all grew up in those meetings and my daughter just asked me recently a question it was so funny she said mommy why I remember going with you to those meetings in Westboro Massachusetts and there was always donuts there it was an open AA meeting <laughs> there was no OA on, on the weekend in this little town so she went with me and all the kids were running in the back eating donuts and she said what kind of OA was it for? <laughs> no, she, she said to me, is it for anorexic? <laughs> so they try to teach them how to eat healthy. I mean, but anyway, I, it's like I came to the meetings, you know, pregnant, and then all of them, I have the kids are six years apart from each other. So everyone in their own time was running around making noise. So I have a very heartfelt feeling, you know, to hearing the voice of little kids. My abstinence is three meals, up to two snacks, and no dessert. And the meals, as I said, are most of the time low-fat, medium-sized, you know, <clears throat> moderate, and sometimes they look different. And my snacks, you know, I must be honest and say that I struggle with snacks because my, my honest to God feeling is that I need, that should be my next step in my recovery is to eliminate snacks because I'm not one of those that needs them. I'm one of those who wants them. And, uh, and I am still, you know, I'm still experimenting with snacks that somebody who maybe runs four miles a day can have and needs it for their well-being, but somebody who sits on the chair ten hours a day can live without it. So that's to be honest. The most wonderful experiences of my amends were with my three children. And I, my oldest daughter, and, and my ex-husband. My older, my older daughter, my amend to her was that during my divorce, I very much made her a parentified child. I had her take care of my son, who was two, and she was 13. And when I said to her, you know, I'm working my program and I need to make an amend to you, she said, what are you talking about? You, with, you know, and she gave me all those, we have very good relationships. She said, there is nothing you ever did wrong. And then I made my amend and she started crying because she, she deserved that amend. And then I made the amend to my son, and it was about giving away the dog he loved in a way that was not very caring, but I was going through a divorce, binging, and having to take care of a neurotic dog that was, like, crazy. And I gave him away, and when I made the amend to him, you know, again, 
when I first said I need to make an amend, and he's younger, so it was like, yeah, yeah, what, 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 you didn't do anything wrong. And then when I said it again, I, I knew that, you know, it. The hardest amend for me was, and my middle daughter, there was really, I don't think, I made an amend to her, but it was more general because I didn't come up with anything specific. But the hardest amend I made was to my ex-husband. And I bookended it with my sponsor. We were together in Chicago two years ago, and I knew that we would be alone in a hotel room. We didn't stay in the same room, but we were sitting together waiting for my son to perform. And I knew this is the time, so I bookended it. I called my sponsor prior and after. But my amend to him, I decided to make it very general and just say, if I ever hurt you in any way, I'm sorry. That was it, because I didn't want to bring up the laundry list of all my anger at him. So when I said it, his first response was, you know, I appreciate it, but I know that nothing that you ever did or said was intentional, so don't worry about it. And I was like, wow. And then 20 seconds later, the floodgates opened, and he basically, you know, accused me of being, of, he accused me for not trying to make the children have a better relationship with him, which was really not my job. And the hardest thing for me was to hear him and say, I can hear your pain, and I'm sorry. And not say, what an asshole. They didn't like you because I'm going to, because that's what I wanted to do. But the process of working the steps, before I made that amend, I had to write it down and read it to my sponsor. And when I read it to her, she said, what are you doing? You're blaming him for three pages. This is not an amend. So... We worked on it, you know, until I made it, and I told her, I know he will come back with a lot of things, and she said, all you need to say, she didn't say what I said, she said, just stay with it, hear it as hard as it is, and call me. So whatever he said, and he had tears in his eyes, I said, I can see your pain, and I'm, I'm really so sorry, and that was it, and so that was a healing amend. But there were amends. There was an amend with somebody I really, really cared for and was hoping that the amend will heal the relationship. And I said, I'm really sorry that I let A, B, and D, whatever, be in our, in our way or whatever. And she said, yeah. Basically, she said, you are whatever, and we never talked since. And then I made an Anyway, the amend, not, I didn't have the experience that after every amend, I felt healed and spiritual. There were amends where I felt hurt and angry. But I did them anyway. And it's been two years ago, and now I'm doing the steps again. There are new amends coming. So, you know, I am still in the process of learning to forgive myself. It's not a done deal. And I think that... Wow, it's a very profound question. I... Most of the time, I live in a place of self-love and self-care today. But when issues come up that I need forgiveness, I pray about it, I write about it, and I just continue to work my steps. And I'm hoping that as I continue to stay on this path, I will forgive myself more. But it's a very, very, this, my whole process of the last 30 years has been a process of self-forgiveness. Forgiving myself that what happened to me in my childhood wasn't my fault. Forgiving, it's, it's not, it's so hard to, 
it's, it's a, an amazing question because I think the self-hate came from hating myself and feeling, taking the blame on, on a lot of things. So self-forgiveness is really in the core of my recovery. I couldn't have been a day abstinent if I didn't forgive myself, but it's a process that I'm still working on. I meditate every morning for a very short time, between 5 to 12 minutes. And if you want to know why 12, it's because January 1st, 2012, I said it's about time to raise it to 12 minutes. So that's the answer. And, and I know that some people meditate for 40 minutes, but doing it every single day, even for 5 minutes, for the last 5 years with, you know, I know the difference between a day that I get out of the house without doing it and a day that I do it. And then I read a few of our little books. I, right now I love The Voices of Recovery, which has some very inspirational thing. And really that's my only, and I do some exercise at home for my back. So that's my morning ritual.